0: Hey, guys, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence. It's um, just so great to be with you guys today. I don't know if you know this, but there is a movement of God that is taking place. Uh, It's taking place here in this church. It's taking place in our community and our communities um, around the world. Like we're just hearing little stories, bits and pieces, and hopefully you're hearing some of them kind of bubble up as well that, that show us that God is on the move. And God is not only just like on the move corporately in the church, but our prayers is that God would be on the move in your hearts, in our hearts as as well. And we're about to enter into a season called Lent. And it, it's the season that, that prepares us for Easter and celebrating resurrection. And we begin that season with a, a special service called Ash Wednesday. And as we walk, walk through Lent, what we're doing is we're walking through the life and the death of Jesus so that we can celebrate the resurrection on, on Easter. And so it all begins on February 22nd, Ash Wednesday service here in the room. Also, you can join us online for that. And as you heard in the video, maybe at the beginning of the service, you will receive some ashes on your hand or on your forehead as a sign of us going low before God and entering into the story in the season of Lent together as we move towards, towards resurrection. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that with us. Uh, the next thing I want to share with you is a picture from Monday night. Our practicing the way was right here in this room. It doesn't even look like this room because there were tables everywhere and about 300 people gathered in here and 40 people were online as well. We gathered around tables. We shared a great meal together, some fellowship, a great time of worship. We heard some wonderful teaching on Sabbath. And then we went out and practiced it all week long, and we're going to do it again next week. And I kind of hesitated a little bit to show that picture because um, although I was at that one, I know that if I wasn't and I saw that, I'd be like, man, I missed out on something. And well, you did. I mean, you might have missed out on something. And I just want to let you know that's okay if you weren't able to sign up for that. Our our desire is to be able to continue offering things like this as we go deeper in our relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And actually, I would just put it this way. On Monday nights in the month of February, we are practicing the practice of Sabbath, which is something that Jesus did. But on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, all year long, we are practicing several practices. We practice the practice of worship. We practice the practice of of prayer, of community, of, of communion with God and with other people. So we're doing this. We're practicing the way of Jesus together, however you're connecting just like Jesus did. We're doing these things. In fact, author Dorothy Bass said this about Christian community. She said, A Christian community at worship is a community gathered for rehearsal. It is practicing the practices in the same way a child practices catching a ball or playing scales. I've said this before. What we do here on Sunday mornings is practicing for the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes even when we sit in this, we kind of, we get a moment, we get a sense like, oh, we're, we're sitting here in this room and I'm experiencing this, but there's, I'm also experiencing something else, like on another level that might be the the kingdom of God, even breaking through. And that's what we do on Sunday mornings. It's what we're practicing for. So that kind of lends us to the question, what are we practicing the other six days of the week? And I ask you that question I knew I was going to ask that question, so I kind of had to think all week long, like, okay, how, what am I doing? What am I practicing for the rest of the week? So I kind of did like an inventory of my practices, an inventory, even like just my thought practices and, and things like that. And I, what I would have to say to you is I am very often, often practicing for something else than what we're practicing for here on Sunday morning. Some, you know, Something that the culture of this age or really my distracted mind told me was way more important. In fact, if you kind of followed me around, um, it'd be boring. But if you, if, if you followed me around and kind of were able to see my thoughts and my, my practices, you would say, I think that guy is practicing to be a sports analyst. <laughs> I mean, like, so that's where the time's going, right? I love sports. I love I love following teams. I love just the excitement of all of that, and I think that's great. And there are times though that I notice, like I'm going down in like a rabbit hole. You know, I'm like reading articles and finding out stats and all that stuff, as if I was going to be a sports analyst. I put way too much energy into it sometimes. You have you have no idea how restrained I'm being this morning. Um. (Laughter) This this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I am a lifelong Chiefs fan. Like, I'm, I I have a, well, okay, yeah, well, it wasn't an applause line necessarily, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have, like, a little bit of red on my tie. That's the reason I'm wearing the tie. That's, like, that's it. I'm just so restrained. I'm calm. I'm cool. Oh, look, I just did it. (laughs) I got distracted by sports, didn't I? Okay, yeah. (laughs) I I, I practice for the wrong things. Sometimes I wonder if you do, (laughs) do you ever practice for the wrong things? (laughs) Which is why I keep coming back here, which is why I keep going to my discipleship group, group of guys who pray with me and for me, which is why I have friends who are committed to hold me accountable to what I have, I've said I want to commit my life to. So I, I come back here to hang out with you guys over and over again to be a part of a community where we have a clear goal of following jesus no matter what what i see here happening more and more i hope you i hope you can see it like in sparks and and in places our disciples deciding to launch out into the deep like to go all in with their faith in jesus christ and it fills me with a great hope like in a season where it doesn't seem like there should be a whole lot of hope i have a lot of hope because I see what God is doing. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about practicing the way of Jesus and what it means, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And we've used a couple of terms to talk about it. The New Testament, we usually translate the word, uh, a follower of Jesus as disciple, one who, one who follows after, or even kind of follows after a particular teaching. So that's a, that's a disciple. We use that word a lot. We've also used the word apprentice, which is like somebody who's, who studies underneath a great master. Somebody who watches the master and and tries to do what the master does. Like if you think in terms of great artists, you know, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, they all had apprentices under them. And they were those who would just kind of watch them while they were working. They would look at every stroke of the brush or every cut of the stone, and they would learn the ways, so much so, that it was like their whole life was just in that. And they, and they followed them around so much so that, that people began to have trouble telling the difference sometimes between the work of the master and the work of the apprentice. I'll add another word to talk about what a, a disciple can mean. It's a word that you hear in the Old Testament mostly. It's the word pilgrim. This idea that we are on a journey towards something. As we're following Jesus, it's not just like a one-moment thing. It's a journey, and we're, we're traveling together as pilgrims. Eugene Peterson explains that that term by saying pilgrim tells us we are people who spend our lives going someplace going to God and whose path for getting there is the way Jesus Christ the path is the way and the way is Jesus Christ that's what Jesus said he said i am the road i am the path i am the way i am the truth i am life and we are on a pilgrimage, and so we practice like a child catching ball or playing scales. Uh, Do you guys know that I was a trumpet player? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's silly. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't know I'm a trumpet player because I'm not. I'm not a trumpet player, but I used to be a trumpet player. I played, I uh, started, picked it up sometime in middle school and played through high school. And I was like... Above average <laughs> at, at trumpet. Um, but what I loved was the band. I loved being a part of it. Like, you know, you're making music, you're making something bigger than yourself. And, and I just loved the, the community of that. And was in every band they had, I would, I would sign up for it to be a part of it because I loved it so much. One thing I didn't love practicing was not so much in love with practicing. Because like to practice your trumpet at home, you have to take your trumpet home from school. And I never did. And my band director went to church with me and he was always like, hey, I saw your trumpet at school and I was never practicing. And so I just kind of like hit a ceiling. I, I, had, you know, I hit a plateau in my development as a great trumpet player. But I want to tell you about my trumpet anyway. Um, my tr- the trumpet that I, that I had was a, a Doc Severinsen signed Bronze-ish trumpet, and uh, Doc Severinsen's autograph was engraved in there. And I'm not seeing a whole lot of recognition when I'm saying the name Doc Severinsen over and over again. But he was like the—he was a the leader of a band on a on a on the Tonight Show back when Johnny Carson. <laughs> Tonight Show. Okay. Well, um, there are some of us that, that are at that stage in life that remember Johnny. Anyway, I was excited about the Doc Severinsen trumpet, and I thought that made it a great trumpet. I looked it up. It's not a great trumpet. It's just signed by Doc Severinsen, but whatever. Um, so I quit playing after high school, but I kept the trumpet and I moved it around with me everywhere Everywhere we moved until finally my son Beckett began to ask about the trumpet that was in the closet all the time. And he would ask a lot like before I was finally like, okay, but I mean like it had been sitting there so long that the valves didn't move. It was, it was kind of a mess. Here's a picture of Beckett a year or so ago with the Doc Severinsen. That's him on the right, right there with his friend Nico. A couple, couple of trumpet dudes right there. Yeah, that's old Doc Severinsen. He looks proud to be holding Doc Severinsen, doesn't he? <laughs> but Beckett fell in love with being in the band like I did, but he also fell in love with playing the trumpet, which I just didn't quite capture. So much so that he practices like around the clock, Almost literally. I know that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but there's a lot of trumpet practicing going on, and it's just a beautiful sound, and he's good. And he's getting better. We, we actually had to buy him a new trumpet for Christmas because apparently Doc Severinsen's not good enough for him anymore, <laughs> and he had to get a better trumpet, you know, because he's practicing all the time, and he loves it. <laughs> oh, yeah, here's a picture of him with his new trumpet. He made me show you that picture because... That's like one year later, that's him in the middle. It's like transformation, not just the trumpet, but the trumpet player, right? (laughs) The dude. (laughs) He practices his trumpet, like he loves it. And you practice what you love. You're defined by what you love. You are formed by what you love. What are you being formed by right now? When people used to look at me playing the trumpet... Not once did somebody say you look like a professional trumpet player. Not once. I didn't get that like a single time. You would think I wasn't practicing to be a professional <laughs> trumpet player, right? Now, I don't know, but Beckett may hear that from time to time, you know, hey, you look like you're you're moving towards being a professional trumpet player. I'm not really sure. God knows what will become of all that for him, but that's not actually the point. The point is he practices it because he loves it. He practices what he loves my just a snapshot of my house on any given day if you were to come into my house here's what you would hear up coming from upstairs in one room you'd hear trumpet being being practiced next room you'd hear some songwriting slash electric guitar work the next room you'd hear the flute and some dancing like the noise of like kind of galloping dancing on the floor and then in the next room if everybody's home you'll hear like some opera singing coming out of that room and 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 if it's like a really great day then Jenny's probably teaching piano lessons downstairs at the same time. Like this is like this is my life, and it's it's beautiful. It's so joyful. There's all this practicing going on around me. <laughs> the practice is the point. So if you're practicing the way of Jesus, people will sooner or later begin to see Jesus in you, the thing that you're practicing towards. Like seriously, people will see Jesus. In, I'm, not, I'm not using metaphor here. Like People will see Jesus in you. We talk about imitating Jesus, apprenticing under Jesus, living as his disciple. But when you spend your life practicing the way, Jesus will literally come alive in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It actually happen. You probably know people that you can think of right now that when you're around them, you're like, I, I'm seeing some Jesus in you. <laughs> I see Jesus bubbling up in you. It can happen for you as well. I want to tell a story about a guy from from the Bible who had no sign of Jesus in him. Not a single sign. In fact, people looked at him and they were like, you're the opposite. You're the opposite of Jesus. Maybe the uh, anti-Jesus. He went from that to having billions of people looking to him for advice on how to let Jesus live in them. His name was Saul. He's in the New Testament, the part of the, the Bible that tells us about Jesus and how to follow Jesus. Saul was an expert at religion. He did religion right. <laughs> he knew the rules and he knew how to follow them. Saul was following a way. We all follow a way, right? His way a was, was following, uh, following was to take God's law, something that was meant to give us life, It was meant for our good, and he turned it into a way of death. That was his way. Saul's way was the way of death, and he was really good at that way. If you have it with you, this is Acts chapter 9, the first couple of verses telling some of that. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way... He might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That passage starts with the word meanwhile. So the meanwhile points to the fact that people's lives were already being changed by Jesus in that time. Like this is really early on. The, the story right before this passage is a story of a man who was traveling on his way from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And he knew nothing about Jesus until a disciple spotted him from a distance, came up to him, and shared the good news about Jesus. And the man was baptized. And it wasn't an isolated incident. This was happening all over the place. Like people were were giving their lives to this movement that didn't even have a name yet. To this point, Saul was unfazed by these transformations that were happening all around him. He kept at his way of death. He was like, I've got a good thing going. I'm just going to keep at this way of death But while he was doing that, there was a movement that was forming around him. And this was before the church was called the church. They didn't use that language. It wasn't, we didn't have that yet. It wasn't organized in that way. It was just a movement of people having their lives changed that was bigger than anything else they had seen. Can you imagine that? A movement where people are constantly having their lives changed by Jesus. It was bigger than anything that they had seen before, but yet at the same time, it was also underground. This amazing thing. And they started to call it the way. Are you a person of the way? I'm I'm, I'm a person of the way. Notice the language. Not a way, but the way is what they were talking about. And Saul was not down with the way until... He had an encounter with the risen Jesus while he was walking down the road one day. This was the post-resurrection Jesus. This is like Jesus after Jesus had been killed on the cross, was put in a tomb and, and rose from the grave, and he came and appeared before Saul. Here it is in verse three. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So where is Saul going? He's going to Damascus. Why is Saul going to Damascus? To persecute and very likely kill followers of Jesus. That was the way that he was going. And that's the road that Jesus appeared to him on. So whatever road you're on right now, Jesus can appear to you on that road. You haven't gone down some back alley that Jesus doesn't know about. Jesus can appear to you. And he, Jesus told him what to do, it says. And, and Saul left this encounter with the risen Jesus, unable to see for three days. That's kind of how he knew, oh, I've been, something's happening. I've been in the presence of something holy. What, what is it in your life that reminds you, oh, I've been in the presence of, of something holy? He left and he was, he was unable to see. A few verses later, the what to do began to take shape. This man that was sent by Jesus came to Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. A few verses later, immediately it says, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. Just remember, three days earlier, same guy was killing, persecuting, and killing people who were followers of of Jesus, and now he's proclaiming him to be precisely who he said he was, the Son of God. So later on, Saul's name is changed to Paul, and Paul began to pursue the way. And like the rest of us, it required practice. You know, he didn't get it perfect. He didn't get it right all the time, and it would frustrate him. And he actually wrote about it in Romans chapter 7. He said, For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. He wanted to practice the way of Jesus, and he noticed he was struggling with that. He's practicing something, but it's not the right, right practices. And so he kind of was able to write that down in a confession. Do you ever find yourself lamenting like Paul? You know, like we just get off track a little bit. We get off course. We go back down the wrong alley. But God is gracious and loving and kind and ushers us back to the practices of the way of Jesus. As we practice the way of Jesus together, I want to offer just real quickly a word of caution here because these practices that we're talking about are things like, like prayer and, and worship and study and, and Sabbath. And when we, uh, when we uh, bring ourselves to that, we often, very often turn practices like this into rules. It kind of seems like it's how we're wired. Maybe it's our human nature. Like, of course, we can have expectations as family and develop good plans to be able to practice the way together. But we have to, in the middle of that, guard against legalism. It's really, really tempting for us to make rules. You see, we are not practicing the way of Jesus as part of a moralistic, ethical command, but as part of a transformation plan. We're not just hoping to have our ethics made right. we're, We're actually being transformed in this. We're being changed into something that we are not already. It's radical. It's a radical teaching that we would be transformed and not that we could just check something off a list. If Jesus had just given us a measurable checklist, then we would probably have developed an app and every morning you would get up or maybe at the end of every day and you would just check it off. It might, yep, yep, following Jesus. Okay, And setting it down, but it's not that easy. Instead, Jesus wants a deepening relationship with you. So how about as a church, we commit together to look to Jesus and not the law as our chief destination. For example, we don't go to church out of just out of obligation now i know there's probably somebody here who was dragged here today and they're like "Uh uh-huh you're wrong (laughs) i'm here because of obligation (laughs) but this is an opportunity to see a bigger picture like we we come to worship and we come to kids ministry we come to student ministry we go to our small groups and discipleship groups because we are being transformed into something new we're being changed in the midst of that. And we go to church because God is revealing how the world will be transformed through the movement that he is orchestrating right now, right here in our midst. And take prayer, the practice of prayer. We don't, we don't pray to meet some requirement. We pray so we can hear from God, so that our hearts can be transformed in a deepening relationship with a God who created us and knows us and loves us and redeems us and sustains us. Let's look at Paul again. He's had this huge conversion experience. I used to always try to like invent my own conversion story in, in light of Paul's, because it was just so amazing. We don't have, not many of us have that kind of a story. He's been wrestling with practicing the way. He doesn't quite have it all down yet. And he gets to this place where even though he has not achieved Christ-likeness yet, he is able to help this little church in a town called Philippi, To distinguish the practices that lead to life. So he wrote to them, this is what he wrote. He said, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What if we asked those questions of ourselves every day? Or like every decision that we come to. Is this true? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? I have a feeling it would change our conversations. It would change the decisions that we make. It would change our communities. And so Paul said, think on these things. Set your mind on these things. And Paul was a changed man who desired for more people to experience the transformation that he had experienced. That's how it works. Many of you in this room can say, my life has been changed. My life has been transformed. And what do you want to do immediately is go tell other people so they can also experience the kind of transformation that you are experiencing. Because the world needs changed people, right? (laughs) The world needs people who are being changed. I think we can agree on that principle. Actually, though, I dug up this old quote from Leo Tol- Tolstoy because I have a collection of Tolstoy quotes, I guess. And he, he said this. He said, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing himself. Because we all agree that the world is broken. We all agree that they should believe the right thing and be, be fixing it, but we're not actually focusing on changing ourselves. So there's some truth in that, but I'll actually push back on old Tolstoy um, a little bit Maybe to correct him a bit to say, in the Christian context, people who are following Jesus, we're not so much about changing ourselves. Like, that's a self-help kind of diagnosis. We're actually about being in a position for God to change us, being in a place where God can do his transforming work. One more character from, from the Bible, this is the Old Testament, King, King David, this guy from our, our faith story. He had been in this season of life where he had committed the most egregious sins He committed adultery and murder. And when he finally kind of came to himself, he kind of became aware of his need for transformation. He he changed his position. He got on his knees and he came before God and he wrote about it in in Psalm 51. He wrote, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place, created me a pure heart, O God. Created me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What David knew was that that change had to happen on the inside, and that it was up to God to make his heart pure. I mentioned that there are signs of God's movement that are taking place around the world, it feels like. I experience it here all the time, but I've also heard a story in this last week from a little college town in northern Kentucky. We actually have a couple of, of Providence students who, who are, are students there now. It's Asbury College. They, ha- they had a, a chapel service every, every Wednesday they have a chapel service. And so this last Wednesday they had their normal cha- chapel service, but it didn't end. <laughs> like the Holy Spirit came and people began to experience the movement of God. And students were coming in from the college who had probably skipped that day. And they were like, heard that things were happening, right? And they came and they, and people were giving their lives. To Jesus. Other colleges in the area have heard about it, and they're, like, loading up buses and driving. I, I'm hearing about, like, traffic, traffic issues, and one of our kids was there last, last night and said it's standing room only. That's Saturday night, <laughs> and this movement of God started on Wednesday, and it's uncontrollable. If we try, we'll mess it up, right? It's untamable movement of, of the Spirit, but the thing is, it's not just happening in northern Kentucky. God desires this for, to happen among his people all over the place, all who follow Jesus to be transformed into the image of God. We are changed not because we're doing stuff, because we're checking things off a list, but because of the spirit of God transforming us from the inside. And, and if you could imagine this, like a bunch of transformed and transforming people being released into the world, the world itself would be transformed into something more like the kingdom of God. And we'll see it like bit by bit and glimpse by glimpse. So I invite you to a life of practicing the way of Jesus, practicing, practicing, practicing until other people see Jesus in you. Would you pray with me? God, you have given us this life, and you've invited us into a life of of depth of following after Jesus. And from the outside, it might look like uh, a lot of work and a lot of giving up. And maybe, God, the giving up is the best part if we give ourselves up to you like like David did and say, create in me a clean heart, transform me. Our prayer, God, is transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Because your desire for us is not not just to say yes in one moment, but to say yes for the rest of our lives. Yes to who Jesus is. Yes to who Jesus calls us to be, as his followers and as his church. In his name we pray, amen.